Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. We're glad you're here with us. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm the teaching pastor, and um, we are making our way through the gospel according to John, uh, and we're doing that to see more and more of Jesus. As a church, our vision is to see the gospel transform everything. That's our vision has been from the very beginning. The gospel literally is good news, and the good news is this, that Jesus came to reconcile those who believe into right relationship with God, and there's nothing that anyone has done to deserve that, and there's nothing that anyone could ever do to deserve that. It's a gift. It's a gift from God, and, and so we want to hold on to that. Our desire is to see that good news, the gospel, penetrate hearts and lives and change and transform us. It affects us. It impacts us. It impacts all of life. It's not just something you say you believed once and then you move on with life. It's something that impacts all of life. In fact, the very reason we continue to look at God's Word as we gather together on Sundays, even, even if it's online, as we gather together on Sundays, is that we would see more and more of Jesus in, in the gospel, that we would then be moved to continue to worship God, that he's given us access to relationship with him based on nothing but his grace. Now listen, that, that's not something we would believe just once and then shelve, right? That's something that we ha- have got to be thinking about all the time and being reminded of all the time. It impacts us right now, and it impacts us right now, right? And tomorrow, and, and on and on and on. And so we look at God's Word to be reminded of that. We're 17 weeks into a series looking at the life of of Jesus in the gospel account of John, and our rhythm as a church is to make our way through books of the Bible to see Jesus, and so that's our plan with John as well, and so if you have a Bible near you, if you'd go ahead and grab that and make your way to John chapter 7. John is in the New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and so as you're finding a Bible and making your way to John 7, as you're turning there this morning, I want to let you know that it's also been our rhythm as a church to take some time in the summer to, to rest and, and, and just, um, just be as we look at some of the songs and poetry of the Psalms. And so over the last several years, we've taken some time in the summer just to, to look at some of the Psalms. And so starting the, the first week of June, we'll be into the Psalms, picking up where we left off last summer, so June 7th. Um, just if you want to read ahead, June 7th, we'll be looking at Psalm 41, and then we'll work through them one by one, week by week, through the summer. And so that's where we're headed, okay? Once you've found John 7, if you're able this morning to stand as we read, we'll read verses 37 all the way through 52 together. So if you'd stand and you can follow along as I read, starting in verse 37 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not, not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is God's word. Well, we currently live in a world where it's acceptable to determine on your own what you believe about Jesus and how Jesus has called you then to live. We live in a world, in a culture, in a day where it's acceptable for you to determine on your own what you believe about Jesus and how he's called you to live. And fortunately or unfortunately, I'm on social media. I think I'm leaning toward the unfortunate side of that. That's a different sermon series altogether. But I've kept up with friends and acquaintances over the years who would for years claim to be Christians. Who, who used to be in one camp and then over the years have shifted to, to be in another camp in relation to what they believe about Jesus and how, how Jesus has called them to live. Now, uh, before I, I move any further into this, I, I know what I'm saying right now and what I'm about to say here in just a second could be taken as judgment, could be taken as, as me looking down my nose at those people. So um, I, that, that's not, I, I don't mean it to come out that way. I, I've searched my heart over the last days as I, I've thought about this, I, I don't want this to be a scenario where I'm, I'm looking down at, at others um, as if I'm the enlightened one. So that's not what I mean when, when I'm about to, to say this, right? That they used to be in one camp, um, but that now they've shifted to another camp, or they used to be in my camp, and now they've shifted to a wrong camp. That's not at all what I'm trying to say, and, and I, I'm open to correction here if, if that's needed. I, I'm really not trying to stir anything up there, but, but here's what I'm observing, uh, from afar, really, through social media, is this uh, shift away from God's word being authoritative. 
right? A, a shift away, in, in one camp, a, a shift away from God's word being something that you would lean on as being the authority, authoritative in that, that God's word uh, written for us and to us so that we would know him and also be like him, right? He's righteous and he's holy and he's called us to be that way. And there's a shift away from seeing God's word as authoritative. There, there seems to be this cultural shift toward the mentality that says something like, I don't really like the way this makes me feel. I don't really like the way this could make others feel about God, and it doesn't seem loving based on my definition of what is loving. Therefore, I'm changing my views to fit what seems to be more culturally acceptable around me. Have you, have you experienced that? That shift in thinking. And this applies to so many hot-button issues today. I don't like the way Jesus' words have been used to tell me who I can and who I cannot marry. Or if I ought to marry or be stay, stay married or, or however that works. Or I don't like the way Jesus' words have been applied to the issues of sexuality or gender. And I don't like the, the way the Bible talks about issues re related to acceptance and how anyone can tell anyone how they ought to identify if they want to identify in, in a different way. Or I don't like the way the Bible speaks about modesty. Or I don't like the way the Bible speaks about drinking. Or I don't like the way the Bible speaks about respecting the governing authority. And the next step after the I don't like this or that thing is often to abandon what Jesus has said or to reinterpret it based on cultural differences and preferences, based, what, based on what feels good to me at the time, and in so doing, shoving aside and redefining what I believe now as holiness, what God requires of me based on what I want to believe about Him. And often what I see, you, you tell me if you've seen the same thing, often what I see is this. The, the kind of mentality or the kind of statements that say, I, I don't like the way that may make others feel about Jesus and the Bible, and if they feel that way about Jesus, as, as if we need to protect Jesus somehow. And if they feel that way about Jesus, then they may not like me either, so I've got to figure out a, a better way to love them, and that may be redefining or softening Jesus and what I believe about him. And so we go from there to tweak what the Bible says to fit what feels good or, or what doesn't offend some. And, and a truncated, watered-down Jesus is created and a, and a different Bible is formed altogether. And at the end of the day, that is not true belief in the God of the Bible, is it? Now, Here's what's challenging about the world in which we live right now and maybe have always lived in. So I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like we, we're in some new... I think we've been here for a long time, maybe centuries. But, but we feel it, it as more pronounced now, maybe, in, in the world in which we live. When, when there's this kind of unbelief, the kind of unbelief that's like a, a build-a-Jesus, you know, like the build-a-bear shops, where you, you can just go in and build your own Jesus. I'll take some of this, and I'll take some of that, and I'll take some of this, and some of these things that I like, and some of this that I like about Jesus, but I don't want this or that thing, and we create the kind of Jesus we want to believe in. And that kind of unbelief, because really that's what it is, it's unbelief, 
That kind of unbelief causes division, not unity. That there's, there's no unity when everyone can believe what they want to believe, right? There may be autonomy, but, but that's not necessarily unity. Unbelief in Jesus ultimately causes division, not unity. And I think we see this in, in the text this morning. We're, we're going to work through this text backwards, so hang with me. Um, uh, looking at the last 13 verses first and then coming back to the beginning to see what Jesus has said to stir up the crowd. I think in the very beginning, what we see is this. Unbelief causes division. Or if you want to say it this way, unbelief in Jesus causes division. R remember the context uh, from the last few weeks. Jesus is in, is in Jerusalem during the Feast of Booths, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, this annual celebration, this commemoration uh, for the Jewish people. And, and, and even in that, there are people who are looking to kill him. And Jesus still is in the, te uh, the temple teaching revealing that he is the Messiah, the one sent from God. And, and in the middle of this week-long commemoration, remembering that God had come down to be near the people in the wilderness, that's what they're commemorating, that God had come to be near them, dwell uh, among them, uh, Jesus, the one who had come to be God among the people, who had come to be their Messiah, who had come to be their true Redeemer, Jesus is in front of them teaching, and, and because he doesn't fill, fulfill their expectations of what a, a Messiah ought to be, they believe he's a crazy man. They believe he's deceiving them. They believe he's in, in, impersonating God or impersonating the Messiah. They're, they're out to kill him. And so that's the context we've been working through. And Jesus is teaching in the temple, and that, that's still now, even in our text, the, the context. He's teaching in the temple. In fact, look at, look at verse 40. It says, when they heard these words, we'll, we'll pick up right in the middle of the text. When they heard these words, when they heard his teaching. We'll, we'll get to what he's teaching here in just a, a bit. When they heard him teaching, they began to talk. And there are several different categories that arise from this. Some said, this really is the prophet. Right? This goes back to a Jewish expectation that a new prophet like Moses was coming, Deuteronomy 18, you can read that later this week. God promises that a new prophet like Moses is coming, one who would be this mouthpiece of God for the people. And the prophet that was coming in the minds of the Jewish people was different than the Messiah, but they were still expecting him still waiting for this prophet. And so some at the temple, after hearing Jesus teach, say, this is the prophet. That's one category. Others say, this is the Christ. Right? This is the one who, who has promised to be our Messiah. We've been waiting and we've been waiting and, and, and expecting this generation after generation, waiting, and he's here as the Christ. And probably the reason they believe that is because they were in awe. We're told, we, we looked at this last week, they were in awe of his good teaching. He was a good teacher. Or, or maybe some were in awe of the miracles he had performed. And even though that didn't fit the context of a Messiah, they were thinking, well, if he can do that, maybe this is the Messiah. So really what they were uh, saying this uh, about was based on the things that Jesus did. They thought, this is the Messiah. Look at what he does. And then another category began asking questions about what Scripture says about where the Christ is to be from. They, they say in verse 41, is the Christ to come from Galilee? 
This is where Jesus had been living and, and from where he had just uh, traveled and the people knew he was from Galilee. That's where he had come from. And so they're asking the question, well, isn't the Messiah supposed to be um, from, is the Messiah supposed to be from Galilee? And they go on in verse 40, 42. Doesn't the scripture say that, that Christ, that the Messiah comes from the offspring of David? And David wasn't from Galilee. He was from Bethlehem. So they're grabbing on to prophecy from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that says from Bethlehem that this Messiah is coming. And, and so these people knew Scripture. They knew the Word of God. They knew the law. They knew the prophets. These people knew Scripture, but they didn't know the one standing in front of them was actually, ironically, from the line of David, born in Bethlehem. Now think about these three categories of people. Some automatically assume they know Jesus' role. He's a prophet, right? He'll, he'll be the one who speaks to us as the, as the mouthpiece from God. We'll, we'll get our information from him. They, they automatically assume they know the role of Jesus. And, and, and some assume they know Jesus' identity based on what he can do, the things he can teach, and the ways that he can perform. And some assume they know Jesus because they know facts about Jesus. They know facts uh, about the Bible, about uh, details from, from the Scriptures. They're able to pull out this and that thing from, from the Scriptures to make their point, but they don't actually recognize Jesus. Now, do those three categories fit our time even now? Absolutely, right? None of these three categories, I would say, is true belief in Jesus. A true belief that leads to seeing Jesus for who He really is, that He's Lord and that He's Savior, that He's Christ, the very one sent by God to redeem and to restore relationship back to God. This kind of unbelief causes division among people. We see it here in the text, and I think we also see it in our own culture. Verse 43 says what? I want you to look at verse 43. It just spells it out. So there was division among the people over him. There was division among the people because they all had differing views. They all came to this with differing views about who Jesus was based on something different they were looking for from him. There was division. And so we're told that some wanted to arrest him and no one laid a hand on him, but, but there's division among the people. In verse 45, the, the officers, the, the temple police really is who they are, show up, but, but they don't show up with Jesus. They, they, they didn't arrest him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, the, the ruling religious officials, ask, well, why didn't you grab Jesus and bring him here? I thought you wanted to arrest him. Why didn't you bring him to us? And the officers respond, hey, listen, um, no one has ever spoken like this man. No one has ever taught like this man has. We, we've heard him. Now, Pull out of, of this for a second and think about the context. Think about what they've just said to the Pharisees. Right? Uh, to uh, the Pharisees who are the teachers of the law. Think about what they've just said. No one can teach like this man. 
Right? That, that would be like my, my wife, Kirsten, coming to me and say, hey, you should listen to uh, so, so-and-so uh, preach. That guy, can, he'll probably be the, he's the best preacher I've ever heard. Right? That'd be like my wife saying that to that. I would respond, yeah, and I bet his wife cooks better meals, right? So I would um, jab there too. But, but here's that, that's just what happens. The temple police who roam the temple all the time, and they hear the Pharisees teach all the time. They've heard the Pharisees teach all the time. They just say to the Pharisees, he's the best. And so the Pharisees answers in ver- answer in verse 47, and they say, you've been deceived too, haven't you? Seriously, you've been deceived. Have, have any of the other chief priests or, or Pharisees believed in him? Has anyone else believed in him? As if that's the standard, right? But, but it is in their minds. It's the standard in their minds. If no one like us has believed, then you must be the deceived ones, not us. We're, we're, uh, we're the standard of piety. Verse 49, that the, this crowd doesn't really get it, right? The, that's what they say. This crowd doesn't really get it. And I think it's ironic that John inserts this here in verse uh, 51. Pharisee Nicodemus jumps in. Now remember, Nicodemus, all the way back from John chapter 3, he comes at night to talk to Jesus, and Jesus talks to Nicodemus about true salvation, about true rebirth, and, and John doesn't tell us in chapter 3 where Nicodemus lands with belief or, or not, and really all we know of Nicodemus is what looks like um, his defense of Jesus here, which we'll, we'll look at here in a second, and, and what we see at the crucifixion of Jesus when Nicodemus anoints the body of Jesus with expensive perfumes. Other than that, we don't know a whole lot about Nicodemus. But isn't it interesting that the Pharisees say, does anyone else believe in him? And then in comes Nicodemus. And he asks the other Pharisees in verse 51, doesn't our own law say that we have to give a man a proper hearing and investigation before judging him guilty? There's division there. One of their own is bringing in division as well. The other Pharisees say to their own, Nicodemus, what, are are you from Galilee too? Are you sticking up for your own? Are you from Galilee? Galilee is not the kind of place that was looked upon highly. And so this is really a jab, a slam on Nicodemus. What, what, are are you one of those people? Those Galileans? Why don't you, Nicodemus, go and search the scriptures and see for yourself that no prophet comes from Galilee? There's the vision. But what the Pharisees fail to remember as they say no prophet comes from Galilee is that Jonah came from Galilee and Elijah came from Galilee and Nahum came from Galilee. All of those men were probably from Galilee. So these scholars in the Bible, these scholars in the Scripture don't really know the Scripture unless it's there to help them make a point. Unbelief in Jesus causes division it caused division uh, among them then and it and contrary to to the popular popular trend and maybe popular belief today differing views about who jesus is why he came and, and what we're able to believe about him actually causes division today do, do you understand that that not all paths lead to the same thing that we, we, we can't all come to our own conclusions about who we think Jesus is and think that there will be unity. Right? There has to be a standard. There has to be a truth. And that truth cannot be based on each 
individual. The, the truth about who Jesus really is and why He's come and about what He's taught has to be grounded in the truth of God's Word. Well, let me put this in, in our context for, for application for, for you and me. These hot-button topics uh, about whatever, you fill in the blanks there, about sexuality or marriage or acceptance or affirmation or about justice or about love for others or about what the church should and shouldn't stand for, what uh, political party you align with and on and on. At the end of the day, if what you believe about those things is coming from what you believe about those things, then we will be divided, right? If you're coming to those things about, hey, this is what I believe, then, then we're all scattering. In other words, if what we believe about those things doesn't find its foundation in the truth of Scripture about who Jesus truly is, then we will absolutely be divided. It's great if we have differing views about all kinds of things, about sports teams and about coffee and about music. It's great if we have differing views there. It's, it's fine if we have differing views even about social and cultural norms and things that we see as norm, norms and maybe some don't, right? So tattoos or not tattoos, drinking alcohol or not drinking alcohol, homeschool or, or not homeschool, right? Mustache or no mustache, preferably no, right? Um, uh, that kind of diversity among us is healthy. I, I would say it's needed. It's what makes us the body if it's what makes us the body if we're able to rally around what God's Word says is true and right about who Jesus is and how He's called us to live in light of who He is. But, but differing views of who Jesus is based on how I want to define Jesus to make me feel good and to, quote, give Christianity a good name, that will only lead to division at some point. This is why it's so important for the local church, the local body of believers, to have a clear and concise, biblically grounded doctrinal statement. It's huge. It's important for us to say, yes, these are the things that we believe. This is why it's so important for the local church to have a, a plurality of gifted and qualified leaders who, who, whose final say in all things is the Word of God, and, and they hold one another accountable to that, and they hold one another accountable to godly living and, and moving the church in that direction. This is why it's so important for the local church to be as much as they are able to, to be regularly speaking from the whole counsel of God, not just what will draw a crowd. The Apostle Paul gives his young uh, church-planting friend Timothy some instruction about this very thing, about standing firm on preaching the Word of God. Again, Timothy was this young church planter. Paul dropped off and said, you, you plant here, um, and this is how this is going to go. And Paul writes two letters that we have in, in our Bibles to Timothy, giving him instruction about what that should look like. And, and he says to, to Timothy about church planting what? Does he give him all kinds of strategy and about how to do this thing and that thing and how to send out flyers and hang them on doorknobs and, and all that? Is that what he said? No, he says to Timothy, preach the word. And in fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And when everyone has their own way in what they want to believe based on how they feel they ought to believe, the result is, contrary to what people seem to think, the result is not peaceful unity. It's division. It's, it's division. In fact, it's, it's only right belief in Jesus that causes the kind of unity that we want to be seeing in the church. It's right belief in Jesus that causes unity. These different categories of unbelief in John 7 are, are causing division. They're, they're all coming to the discussion of Jesus with differing views, but, but it's all differing views that, that are show, showing, revealing unbelief. And remember, I, I said we'd work through this passage backwards. So if you'd look at, at verse 40 again, how does verse 40 begin? When they heard these words, right? What What words? Now, to, to see what words Jesus has spoken, we've got to jump up to verse 37 and see the stir that he's now created. Here's what's happening and what Jesus has said. Verse 37, John tells us that it's the last day of the feast, probably this week-long feast all culminating on this last day, this great day, we're told. There were many different elements of this feast. It was uh, each of these elements having symbolic meaning as the week went along. It was a, a liturgy of sorts that, that led them along in this rhythm of how they would see um, God showing his faithfulness for generations. That, and those overseeing the celebration would walk through this order of elements. And we, we won't get into all the details here, but it's, it's thought that, that after reading through a list of psalms together, and, and during this morning time of sacrifice, in, in the early morning, a drink offering was offered to God. So they, they would pour out this wine offering into a silver bowl as an offering to God. And, and, and at the same time, they would pour out water into a, a different silver bowl as an offering of remembrance to God. Some would say it's a, a, a com, a, to commemorate the water pouring from the rock in the wilderness as seen as a, abundant provision from God. Water had great symbolic significance for the people, right? Flowing water, pouring water, thirst-quenching water. We see that throughout the Bible, don't we? They were symbolic of times of, uh, water was symbolic of, of times of prosperity and provision and, and abundance. And I say all that to say that, that we're told that Jesus stands up on this last day, probably when the, the pouring out of the wine and the water has happened. He stands up on this last day, and, and we're told that he cries out. I want you to hear that. Right? that. This is no casual conversation. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, let me interject something here. He cries out. And what does he cry out? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And we, we've already seen this kind of imagery, haven't we, in John 4, where the Samaritan woman is saying to Jesus, well, give me some of that water that, that leads to e eternal uh, thirst-quenching uh, abilities. Jesus says that he is the water that will quench her thirst forever. And, and so here he says, if you're spiritually thirsty, then let him come to the source of all quenching and drink. Now, don't let this context go by. Don't, don't just say, hey, Vince, okay, great, let's get back. Don't, don't let the context go by. 
Jesus is standing in the temple as the one who is God with us, as the one who is God who came to set up his tent among us, to live among us. He stands in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles where they're commemorating God to to be with them. When the water is being poured out probably to commemorate God's provision and abundance in the wilderness, he stands up on that last day and he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Don't let that slip by. He then says, whoever believes, there's that that word again, believe, whoever believes in me as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, no one is really sure what scripture Jesus is referring to here. Many will speculate it's this one or it's that one, and they'll tie it here and there. No no one's really sure, and, and I'm not sure it really matters what exact verse he's referencing, but Jesus says he's referring to the Spirit, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, every believer would receive once Jesus was glorified. And how and when would he be glorified? Think about that. How and when would Jesus be glorified? It's this, when he's crucified, paying the penalty for sin, when he's buried because he really was dead, when he is raised from the dead, defeating sin and death, and and ascends to be with the Father. He's he's glorified. Then, then, the the Spirit would be left. When, When we see the words, Jesus was not yet glorified, we have to see in that everything that goes along with that. Don't don't just breeze over that. Oh yeah, he was glorified. No, the sacrifice for sins, burial because he was really dead, resurrection, defeating sin and death, and then glorification, ascending to the right hand of God where, where he is to be, right? When Jesus ascends, what happens? The Spirit would be left as a helper. And because of the Spirit's work in each believer, flowing from them would be rivers of life-giving water. Now, not saving water like what Jesus offers, but but the abundant, flowing realization that the Spirit is working in and through the believer, producing fruit, overflowing from the believer. Several chapters later in the book of John, we're told about some of the work that the Spirit will do. In fact, John 16, if you you want to turn there, you can. I'll, I'll have it here on the screen Uh, uh, John 16, starting in verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Uh, That always boggles my mind, that Jesus would say, it's to your advantage that I would leave you. Anyway, he says, it's to your advantage that I would go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Again, it blows my mind that, that as great as nearness to Jesus is, Jesus himself says it's to our advantage if he's gone so that the Spirit will be with us as a helper. Blows my mind. Just pause for a second. Allow that to hit Christian brother or sister. Fellow believer, Jesus has left the Spirit 
for you. Hear that. Allow it to penetrate your heart and well up into overflowing gratitude to God for His plan to give us the Spirit, to to give us the Holy Spirit. These verses show us at least in part the role the Spirit plays. John says, concerning sin, the Spirit brings conviction to those who do not yet believe. Why does He do that? So that they would believe. So if, so if you're a Christian, just, just pause this morning and, and think about this. The Spirit has brought about conviction of sin so that you would turn, that you would confess and turn, repent, and, and turn to believe. And still, in, in an ongoing way, the Spirit brings to mind those sins we need to confess, right? Concerning sin, the Spirit brings conviction. Concerning righteousness, the Spirit will, will be with the individual, revealing true righteousness. Jesus will no longer be on the scene to do that, to reveal what righteousness is supposed to look like, but the Spirit points us to righteousness. Concerning judgment, the Spirit reveals to us that our enemy is judged, right? Our enemy, Satan, is judged. Christ has won. That's the role of the Spirit now and, 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 and that Jesus has been glorified. That's the role of the Spirit. It's to our advantage that we now have the Spirit because the Spirit continually points us to, wait for it, points us to Jesus. Jesus is the, the Spirit's pointing, right? He's pointing to Jesus. Sin, Jesus paid for it. Righteousness, Jesus perfected it. Judgment, Jesus defeats the enemy. All of that points to Jesus. And Jesus stands in the temple during a celebration commemorating God coming to be with the people. And He speaks to the people about true life coming from Him. And He points to Scripture being fulfilled and in it all pointing to him he speaks about the spirit being left and when he ascends the spirit reveals and convicts and continues to reveal righteousness and points to to ultimate victory over sin death and and satan listen belief in jesus as as that jesus belief in jesus as that jesus causes sweet unity when the field is leveled and we all recognize our sinfulness and our need for a Savior and that that, that's, that Savior is Jesus, we all recognize that we're not righteous, but Jesus is and He calls us to righteous living. Jesus calls us to righteous living. He defines that. But when we all circle around the truth that Jesus wins, yeah, there's an enemy, but Jesus wins. When the field is leveled because of the truth that comes from God's truth in His Word, that causes sweet unity. There are truths about Jesus. There are. There are truths. Truths about who Jesus is, who He says He is, and and we don't get to determine that. He is who God says He is. He's not just who He says He is. He is who God says He is. And and we don't get to determine and define that. When the field is level, instead of everyone looking outward for their own truth, I've got to find my own truth and figure out what I I believe. When, When the field is leveled, we all turn around and fix our eyes on Jesus. Belief in Jesus, everything He says about Himself, everything God says about everything, all of history and creation has been pointing to about Him. Eyes fixed on Jesus. That kind of belief brings unity. 
That, that kind of unity where, where coffee and music and tattoos and educational choices are simply choices that, that make us a diverse people who are unified around worshiping Jesus, not around coffee or the other things, because He's worthy to be worshiped. Unbelief in Jesus of all sorts will cause division, cause us to be scattered, but belief in Jesus and everything he says about himself will, will bring us in to have unity. Eyes fixed on Jesus. And so this morning I want to end our time praying that God would stir in us a deep desire to worship Jesus as a unified family. Even though we're scattered about on, on couches in our living rooms. I want to be praying that God would, would cause in us a deep desire to be unified as a family. But before we pray, I think we'd be silly here to not say that this text and the things we've been looking at over the last couple weeks, we'd be silly to, to say that this um, isn't also a call from Jesus to believe. Now, he calls uh, here in, in this passage anyone who thirsts to come and drink. And he says, whoever believes, whoever believes, right? This is a call to believe. And so this morning, if you're listening or if you're watching or if you've just sort of like stumbled upon us somehow you've not yet turned to Jesus as your Savior can I just say this listen please this is your call to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he offers abundant life and he reconciles us to God the Father and it's because of him that we get relationship with God it's a call to believe and so let me pray for us and then we'll continue let's pray God, we um, settle into this this morning knowing that um, a, a right belief in who Jesus is and who he says he is and who you have always said he is and, and will be, a, a right belief there will cause sweet unity among a people, among a family, where we all rally around and, and set our eyes on Jesus to worship him. And so would you make us that as a church? And where we have uh, pieces in, in our own hearts where we're trying to figure out how we want to make Jesus sound to ourselves or to others. Where we're trying to shape Jesus into who we want him to be. Would you, would you reveal that to a spirit? That's your role. Would you reveal that to us so we can confess that and turn to Jesus as the one who determines who he is? Says who he is? Would you give us eyes to see where we may be uh, led astray? Would you, give us, um, would you give us as elders of the town church eyes to see how we need to be leading our people to the truth? And God, I pray for those who may be listening or, or watching this morning who do not yet know you, that you, Spirit, would convict of sin those who do not yet believe so that they would believe. Would you draw them in to believe? What a, what a strange thing it would be. Strange season we live in where people are watching church gatherings online on computers and TVs and phones and devices. But God, would this be a moment where, where someone who's listening this morning would be drawn into faith in you because of what you're doing in their heart and life right now? Would you do that? We pray all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.